you're listening to sermons from Grace Bible Church in Eufaula, Oklahoma. We're a church on mission to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn more at gbcufaula.com. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whatever, uh, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. It is sweeter than honey that drips from the honeycomb. And I pray to all who have ears to hear this day that it would be such, Father. We live, Father, in a time where it is really no different than the day in which John was writing this letter and we battle still yet with the same enemy, with the same tricks, O oh God. And I pray that you would give us discernment in your word, that we would be able to examine ourselves in truth. I pray that, Father, you would give me the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim your word faithfully and boldly. And clearly, O oh God, for apart from you, I can do nothing. And I pray, O oh God, that you would give ears to hear uh, your word, Father, that your word as it goes forth would, would do all that you sent it to accomplish in our hearts and our minds. May we be sanctified by it as, as Jesus prayed in John 17. And it's, it's his, in his name I ask these things. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may hear that word and think, is that a German cuisine? Others may know exactly who I'm talking about. It's a person. Right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his story is, is, is a story of unwavering faith, stance against evil and courageous resistance during a dark period in history. Born in Germany in 1906, he embarked on a journey as a young theologian and pastor. He began his ministry by emphasizing the importance of a genuine, sacrificial faith and the concept of costly grace. As the Nazis gained power and started imposing their brutal regime, Bonhoeffer's ministry took a defiant turn. He became a vocal critic of Hitler's regime and played a pivotal role in the confessing church, which opposed the Nazis' attempts to control the German Protestant church and sought to maintain the purity of the Christian faith. His theology emphasized that following Christ required unwavering commitment, even when faced with persecution. 
as the war raged on, World War II that is, Bonhoeffer's ministry shifted towards covert resistance, right? Said that he had plotted to assassinate Hitler and his work became that of saving Jews from persecution as they were being carted off to the slaughter. His actions ultimately led to his arrest and imprisonment. In 1945, just weeks before the end of World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed, leaving a lasting legacy of moral courage, faith, and standing against evil in the face of tyranny. Bonhoeffer's story is a powerful testament to the enduring impact of a steadfast commitment to faith in Jesus Christ, even in the most challenging and dangerous circumstances. His ministry continues to inspire people around the world to stand up for truth regardless of the personal cost. Yet another hero of the faith, one relatively recent. In contrast to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his ministry and, 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 and his legacy of, of living a life for the glory of God, we have this battle that John is writing against in the book of 1 John. Right? Uh, John was, was facing a battle in the church himself. And, and we've brought it out many times as we've come through this book, even in the introduction of the book, uh, uh, this, this uh, uh, similar to what would, would be some Christian science and stuff today, right? They, they believe that, that uh, all spiritual is good and, and everything that is natural is irrelevant, right? Because it's not spiritual. So it doesn't, whatever you do in the flesh doesn't matter as long as you're spiritual was what was being taught and brought into the church. And, 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 and John is combating this Gnostic idea that, is, that has come into the church, right? It's crept in and, and it's even being taught, right, amongst the believers that, that, that your sin doesn't matter, that, that what you do doesn't matter, just be spiritual, right? And if we put into contrast Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a life of faith and martyrdom, against those who would say, oh, your sin doesn't matter. You know, what, what you do doesn't matter. Just be a spiritual person. Tell that to Mr. Bonhoeffer. Tell that to the Apostle John. It's much like today. You know, there, there, are many, there are many churches today. Uh, there are some genuine believers in many churches that are just not good churches from the pulpit the whole truth is not taught right there's a little bit of truth and then there's a lot of this stuff that creeps in whether it's this word of faith movement or new apostolic reformation or whether it's this gnosticism or christian scientology this stuff just creeps into pulpits all over the world and there are confused people, and praise God, many true believers in those places find them, the, the Lord would lead them out to faithful, to faithful places, even if they're gathered in homes, which was how we started. That was a really tight fit, too. Right? What we see in the text today is that who you are who you are 
is evident by what you practice. Right? By what you practice. Therefore, what you practice matters. That's the title of the sermon today. What you practice matters. It matters gravely. As, as we look today, we're going to see that your sin matters. Your righteous matters, righteousness matters in the way that you live your life. It matters. So I, I've done this a little differently. Instead of just walking through each verse, verse by verse, I've, I've taken all the negative comments and put them on one side of a page and all the positive on the other side of the page. So we're going to walk through this all scrambled like. But So bear with me, okay? First thing we see here this morning is that your, your sin matters. Your sin matters. Look with me at verse uh, 4. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So here we are confronted with the problem. The problem is lawlessness. And he's revealing that sin is lawlessness. Right? Sin it comes from the Greek word hamartia. It means in, in one way to miss the mark. It's an archery term. And many of you have heard this before, right? If we miss the mark... That is the definition in the sense of, of sin. It is also wrongdoing, right? It is, it is lawlessness in, the, in that God is the one who sets the standard, right? God has given his law. To be lawless is to, to not adhere to the law, is to break the law. It is to have no regard for the law. It is to miss the mark. Because he establishes the mark. Right. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices used like five times right through here. The word keeps is used a few times through this text. Right. Uh, to practice and to keep. Right. Uh, the, the, the practice is what we do. Right. It's, it's what we are are doing. We, we practice something. Uh, it, it is it reveals what we're practicing, right? It reveals who we are in a sense in the matter of our conduct in life, right? It's who, anyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Here we're met with the problem. The sin is a problem because it is, because it is against God's standard who is creator, sustainer. The Lord our God is one. There is no other. Number two, you see here in verse six, the second part of verse six, he says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one who keeps on sinning. Now, this word keeps on sinning is one word, right? Other translations talk about abiding in sin, right? Keeps on sinning carries with it the idea of engaging in habitual sin, right? Making a habit of sin, of craving sin, right? This is the judgment that light has come into the world, John 3.19 says, and, and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil, right? They love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds, they made a habitual practice of sin and they loved their sin. No one who keeps on sinning, no one who has a habitual habit of sin has either seen or known him. 
The problem is sin and lawlessness. Right? And, and, and those who abide in sin, who, who make a habitual practice of sin, are revealed by these actions. Right? They make a practice, they, they keep on, they have a habitual habit, that is to say, of sinning, of missing the mark, of having zero regard for what God says is right. And then in 8a, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Right? So we see the problem is sin and lawlessness. We, We see that those who keep sinning have not seen him nor known him. This reveals who they really are. And we see in in verse 8a here that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. This reveals the source. Why do they sin? Because they are controlled by the evil one. According to verse 10, Satan is their father. The devil is their master. He is the source, right? Uh, John 8 tells us that 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 the the there are Jesus is the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus and Jesus tells these Pharisees you are of your father the devil who has been a liar since the beginning and a thief since the beginning and a murderer since the beginning right those who make a habit of habitual sin are of their father the devil they're doing what the father does their father does right to practice is to do. And they, are making, they have made a practice of sinning. They have a habitual habit of, of sin. Right? This is, this is, John is saying this because this is what's going on in the church. This is what's going on in the church. There are people who have come into the church. They are claiming to be Christians. They claim to be righteous, but their life does not measure up. To what God says is righteous. They have a habitual practice of sinning. That is what they do. Right? And there are, there are many people in churches all over the world this morning that think heaven awaits them. And they will leave church today with the mission to go out and fulfill their sinful desires. And to fill themselves with the things of this world all over the world today. And they think that heaven awaits them. When all they do is desire the sin. They have a habitual habit of sin. And why is that? It's because they do not know God. They have not seen him, nor do they know him, he says. Sadly enough, there are Christians who don't take their sins seriously. You know, perhaps that's not you. Maybe that is you. Maybe you think you're heaven bound, but you, you, do not, you do not smell like the aroma of heaven and you don't have the likeness of Jesus Christ and you're deceived. There's good news for that. For you. But there are many Christians who don't take seriously their sins. Right? They think, I'm good. And I'm just going to continue. And it's, it's like we, well, there's a little bit of repentance, but there's really no, it's like our growth is, 
What is this saying? I've been saved 40 years. No, you've been saved one year 40 times. Because there is not much growth, right? We're in, you're in Christ. You're saved. You, you're a redeemed person, but you don't take seriously your sin. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that like a master builder, Paul laid this foundation and all who are in Christ will build upon that foundation. And some will build with precious things and some will give very little mind to it. And in the end, we will, our, our, our works will be tested when Christ appears. And all, uh, and, and all, our, all who have built up, upon Christ in a manner that that work will survive the fire they will receive a great reward, but there will be many whose work will be burned up. They'll be saved, but only through fire, right? They will, they will stand with nothing to offer Christ, right? And there are many Christians today who don't consider their sin, who don't consider the seriousness of their sin. Your sin matters. As a believer, your sin matters. Number one, it matters because it dishonors God. Romans 6, 12 and 13. Let not the sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't have a habitual habit of sin. To make you obey its passions, do not present your members uh, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Your sin matters because it dishonors God. He, he, he has brought you from death to life. And to, and to make a practice of sinning when He has taken you from the miry clay and placed you upon the rock, Christ Jesus. When He has brought you from a place of death to a place of life and to continue to wallow in the mud, to continue to live as, with no regard for the glory and the word and the honor of His great name is to dishonor Him. Your sin matters. Because we dishonor God in our sin. Number two, your sin matters because it robs your joy. Your sin robs your joy. Most of this is from Romans 6 and 8. Romans 6 uh, verse 20 says, For when you were slaves to, of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, before Christ redeemed you, you were a sinner, you cared not about righteousness, you were free from righteousness, it wasn't on your radar. You weren't bound to anything but to be a child of the devil and nothing really mattered to you. You were free from righteousness at that time. But what, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Your sin robs you of joy, right? We no longer, as, as, as citizens of heaven, as those who are seated with Christ in heavenly places, of those who are brought from death to life, those who are redeemed, we no longer have shame. 
He has removed the guilt. He has removed the stain of our sin. It has been placed upon the cross of Christ. Our sin is as far as the east is from the west, the psalmist says. It It is tossed into the sea, never to be seen again. And when we make a habit or when we begin to sin or to walk in sin as we know we ought not. Shame. Comes. We have been freed from that, from those things which made us ashamed, right? And, And we're doing those things that bring death, though we're called to do that which gives life. It robs us of our joy. Anybody ever spent weeks in, in, in sin, avoiding prayer, avoiding uh, going to the Lord in prayer, avoiding the word, avoiding some Christian fellowship, even feeling guilty? And suddenly the spirit breaks through your thick skull and you come to the Lord in repentance and you just feel so good. You just feel so good because you've waited. And then you then you say, why did I waste time? And, the, and, the, and, the, and then the text that says that sin is only good for a season just floods over you and you're like, oh, why didn't I remember? Why didn't I consider that? Right? It robs you of joy. Your sin matters. Last, it robs you of your testimony. A police officer pulled a driver over one day and asked for the driver's license and registration What's wrong, officer? The driver asked. Didn't you, I didn't go through any red lights, and I certainly wasn't speeding. No, you weren't, said the officer, but I saw you waving your fist as you swerved around the lady driving in the left lane. And I further observed your flushed and angered face as you shouted at the driver of the Hummer that kind of cut you off, and how you pounded your steering wheel uh, when the traffic came to a stop near the bridge. Well, is that a crime, officer? No, but when I saw the Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker on the car, I figured this car had to be stolen. (laughs) It's funny. But it's also true. Right? Truth is, it probably wasn't. Right? Sad reality. Our, our, our sin affects our testimony, right? And, 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 and we are going to sin. We're not to make a habit of sinning because we are seeking to be sanctified, right? We're seeking to be sanctified. We're sanctified to, 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 uh, to be more like our master day by day by day. That's a process. That's a lifelong process. We'll see sanctification here in just a moment. Progressive sanctification is, is, the, pro, is the process of being set apart. The process of becoming more and more and more. We are being conformed day by day to the image of Jesus Christ if we are in him. Again, we, become to, we, we come to smell more like our Savior, to look more like our Savior, to talk more like our Savior, to love more like our Savior, to give of ourselves more like our Savior. But we're not there yet, right? We're going to sin. 
like what John said earlier in the book, right? I'm writing these things, my little children, so that you may not sin. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But nonetheless, your sin matters. Your sin matters because it dishonors God. Your sin matters because it robs you of your joy. And your sin matters because it is not good for your testimony. Your righteousness also matters. Your righteousness matters. Look at verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. He appeared, praise God, to take away sins. He appeared. He came. God put on human flesh. Right? And came to take away sins. How is that? Right? No one... No one, there was never a perfect sacrifice, right? There was the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, right? A, a lamb, one without spot or blemish, was to be brought forward. It was to be slaughtered, and the blood was to be sprinkled on the altar, and, 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 and it, was a, it, was a, it was to cover sin, right? What was the curse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19? If you eat of the fruit in which I command you not to eat, you will surely die. It's the curse. And because of their sin, something had to die in their place if they were to continue. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system which covers sin for a little while. But praise God, God sent a greater sacrifice, a once for all sacrifice. God put on human flesh, humbled himself by coming to the earth as a man. He lived righteously. Therefore, your righteousness matters. He lived righteously. He, he, he appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. That's important. Because if there were any sin in Jesus Christ, then the sacrifice would have not been sufficient. It had to have been a spotless, perfect lamb. That's why John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God sent forth a spotless, perfect lamb and his son, Jesus Christ, who had no sin. There was no sin in him. And he appeared to take away sin. Therefore, by faith, we can be granted his righteousness. Right? Verse 6a says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. We've heard of abide a lot lately, right? To remain in, to continue in. John said in, in chapter 2, was it 19, that, that uh, they went out from us because they were never of us. They pretended. They were, they were pretty good pretenders for a season, right? But then they went out from us because they were never really of us. They had never received from, from the grace of God. They never drank from the fountain of living water. They had never eaten the bread of life that had come down from heaven. They'd never seen the light of the world. But they said they did. But they went out because they were never of us. No one who abides, who continues in, who remains in Jesus keeps on sinning. That is to say, once again, they never make an habitual practice of sin. 
That's not to say that you will never again in your life sin. You have human flesh. You're going to sin. But your desire is not the same. And here's the problem with, 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 with many. Many people wrestle with this. And, 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 and it's not as though we uh, dream about sinning, right? We're, we're just sitting there daydreaming about, about sinning. We don't want to sin. It just it, it creeps up on us, right? Our, our flesh is weak in moments. And in, in, in the moment, our flesh causes us to say something we ought not say. Or even think something we ought not think. Or do something that we ought not do, but it's not a habitual practice. The problem comes for those who might even be sitting in church daydreaming about the sin they're going to partake in and then looking forward to it when they leave here today. No one who abides in Christ, who remains in Christ, who continues in Christ, keeps on sinning. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Right? That is to say in today's standard and time, let no one deceive you who says that they know God, who acts the part, but their actions don't add up. Right? And in this day, they were trying to speak boldly. They were trying to uh, manipulate, to trick the sheep of God. Right. If anyone confesses to be of God and tries to lead you in some compassion or teach you or correct you and their actions don't add up to what they speak. Be not deceived, little children, John says. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Everyone who practices righteousness, everybody who makes it rather than a practice of habitual sin and looking forward to that feel good pleasure thing that is of the world and is of Satan. Rather, I want to have a practice of becoming more like Christ. If your problem is speaking harshly or or just not being a people person, and you're trying to overcome that, that is practicing righteousness, that is going, I ought not say that in this moment. Rather, let me speak in a way that shows that I love my brother or sister. Uh, per perhaps you struggle with, with sexual desires. Rather than engage in those and look forward to engaging in something like that, that God calls sin or disgusting, rather to say that I don't want to engage in that. Therefore, I'm going to put some protections in place so that I won't engage in that type thing because I want to become more like my savior. That's practicing righteousness. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Right? As he is righteous. How's that? He is righteous. By faith. We believe in him. He takes our sin and places it upon his cross, right? Our sin is no more. Sin, past, present, and future dealt with at the cross of Christ because He was the perfect sinless sacrifice. It was sufficient to appease God. That's the word propitiation, right? 
He was the he was the propitiation for our sins and his righteousness was granted to our account. So therefore, if we be in Christ, we will stand before God and he will say accepted based upon the merit of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, because he's given us his righteousness. And we're trying to live accordingly. That is to practice righteousness. He's given me his righteousness. Now I'm going to grow into it to the best of my ability, to the glory of his name. Right? 8b says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I bet, I I wonder what the devil thought in Old Testament times, right? (laughs) And then Jesus came. And then Jesus came. We once were, as Ephesians 2 says, dead in our trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the one who was at work in the sons of disobedience. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was who we were. We were dead and he made us alive. He freed us from the power of sin. He freed us from the power of sin. Jesus Christ has destroyed the work of the enemy. He has no more power over you. Yes, your flesh is weak, but you have been freed from the power of sin and are being freed from the power of sin as you grow in holiness and righteousness in him. Satan has no hold on you. Satan has no grip on you. Because you belong to him. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit You bear the righteousness of Christ in the name of Christ. He has placed his seal upon you. Jesus has destroyed the work of the devil. He says in verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He has been born of God. Right? You know, Jesus mentioned this in the... uh, Several times throughout the gospel accounts, but a seed produces after its own kind, right? You don't plant an apple tree and get peaches, right? You don't plant tomatoes and get squash unless you live at our house. That compost will grow some crazy stuff, right? A seed produces after its own kind. And if God's seed abides in you, then what will be the fruit of your life? Righteousness and godliness. Righteousness and godliness. Your righteousness matters. One, your righteousness matters because it leads to sanctification. Because it leads to sanctification. Again, that it means to be set apart. You're setting apart. You're becoming like Christ. Right. Your righteousness leads to sanctification. Romans 6:22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Your righteousness matters because it leads to sanctification, and to eternal life. 
right? Now, now Christ died for your sanctification. And there are three forms of sanctification. There's no sense in getting into it at the moment. I'm talking about as you progress in grace, as you progress in becoming more and more like Jesus, your righteous acts, your seeking to become righteous as he is righteous is making you look more like him, smell more like him, speak more like him and love more like him. And the result of it is more glory to the name of Jesus Christ in the end. Your righteousness matters. Your righteousness matters because it honors the Holy Spirit. To, to live in sin is to live in, contra in contradiction to a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit. One who is filled with the Holy Spirit cannot make a habitual practice of sinning or they're going to be a miserable person. If the Holy Spirit's really at work in that person, Right. The Holy Spirit causes us to grow. The Holy Spirit is, is what is 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 from God. And, and, and he has sent the spirit to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. What a miserable life to be saved and to try to live a life of sin. But the Holy Spirit always at work, praise God, he does that. Right. But your righteousness honors the Holy Spirit. Romans eight, nine and ten says you, however, are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Our righteousness matters because it honors the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, Holy Spirit is more active and revealed and strong in our life as we put off sin. Right? As we saw in Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Right? Not ruled by or controlled by Something other than the Holy Spirit, but be controlled by, consumed by, filled by, persuaded by, influenced by the Holy Spirit that God has given, that Christ has sent, that teaches us his word and that leads us in righteousness. Our righteousness matters because we honor the Holy Spirit. And as we do so. Once again, it goes right back to our sanctification and glorifying of God, right? And third, those who bear the image of Christ Jesus in their practice and conduct have assurance of love and grace of God. Your righteousness matters because it is evidence. It is evidence and assurance that God is at work in you. I like how J.C. Ryle put it. He says, now assurance goes far to set a child of God free. It enables him to feel that the great business of life is a settled business. The great debt, a paid debt. The great disease, a healed disease. And the great work, a finished work. And all other business, diseases, debts, and works are then by comparison small. 
In this way, assurance makes him patient in tribulation, calm under bereavements, unmoved in sorrow, not afraid of evil tidings, in every condition content, for it gives him a fixedness of heart. It sweetens his bitter cups. It lessens the burden of his crosses. It smooths the rough places over which he travels and it lightens the valley of the shadow of death. It makes him always feel that he has something solid beneath his feet and something firm and under his hands, a sure friend by the way and a sure home at the end. J.C. Ryle speaking of the assurance that we have in Christ Jesus that the Apostle John is giving us even here. Lastly, how you live matters. How you live matters. He says in verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So we have two camps. There's only two masters. You're either a slave of righteousness or a slave of sin. You, you are either of your father God or you are of your father the devil. There is God and there is Satan, the God of this world. God, the sovereign one of all the universe, creator, sustainer, provider, life giver. The one true and only living God. And there is Satan, the God of this world. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Whoever, uh, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Right. So we have two masters here before us. And what defines where you belong to whom you belong, I should say. Those who practice righteousness and, ex and, and, and live with genuine love belong on this side. Those who do not practice righteousness and do not practice love are on this side. Right. Righteousness, by the way, is being in accordance with God's law, doing the commands of Christ, taking up our crosses and following him, seeking again to be sanctified, to come to become like him in his life. Love is a deep level of affection based on a regarded value when he talks about. Our love for one another. It has to do with how we regard somebody else who is in Jesus Christ, who has been redeemed by Christ. To hate someone who bears the image of Jesus Christ, even if they're not, even if they're young in the faith and they're trying to figure this Christianity out and they're trying to grow and to, to hate someone who bears the image of Christ is to hate Christ. Pastor James will move into this idea of love in the coming week, right? This is the catalyst verse to go forward into the idea of love. Nevertheless, we must love because we're talking about image bearers of Christ. We're talking about those who have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We must love our brothers and sisters. We must be righteous. We must love the evidence is in the practice. Your life matters. Rather, 
The way you live your life matters. Because it's defining something. Your master is evident by your practice. So what's the verdict? As you examine your own life, as you consider habitual sin versus righteousness, as you consider your love for others or your hatred towards others, what is the verdict? Are you controlled, compelled by, influenced by, held by, loved by the God and creator who sent his son Jesus Christ to bear the sins of many, given the Holy Spirit of promise who has sealed you for eternal life? Are you walking in that righteousness? Are you walking in that love? Or are you making a habitual practice of sin because you are of your father, the devil? There's good news if you are. Christ died for such as you. Christ came to live righteously because you can't. He went to a cross willingly to become the sufficient sacrifice for sin. And if you will look to Jesus Christ, if you will put faith in Jesus Christ, if you will confess him as your Lord and follow after him, he will grant you eternal life. He will take your sin and place them upon his cross and he will grant you his righteousness. Again, I love the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages for your sin is death, but Christ pays for them. You can have salvation in Him, right? And if and if you are if if you are walking if you are not walking as you ought to, repent. Start. If, if you're daydreaming about your worldly desires and sins that, that is contrary to the righteousness that God calls us to be, turn the other way. Ask Him to help you. The Holy Spirit will help you in your time of need and, and, and help you to walk in righteousness. In conclusion, righteousness is significant in the life of the believer. Sin is lawlessness. Obedience to Christ's commands are necessary. The text shows the distinction between the children of God and the children of the devil based on their actions and motivations. Those who practice righteousness and love are seen as children of God, while those who continue in sin and hatred are characterized as children of the devil. Believers are called to strive for righteousness and purity in their lives as it reflects their true identity as children of God. It also emphasizes the transformative power of Christ's sacrifice, which enables believers to overcome sin and live a life that is marked by love and righteousness. Your sin matters. Your righteousness matters. How you live your life matters because it showcases the transformative power of Christ Jesus our Lord. And it displays his nature at work in us through faith. May you live a life of discernment in your actions. That's characterized by righteousness, love, and a resolve to seek and to live by God's will.
Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for what you have done to redeem guilty sinners, O oh God. And I pray, Father, that, that if there be any in here, Lord, that is faking it, Lord, that if they confess to be believers, but they desire the things of the world and they, they, their lives are not marked by righteousness, that you would grant them true righteousness, that you would convict their hearts concerning sin and that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would give, grant to them a faith that has the power to save. And Father, for those who, who are believers who are brothers and sisters in Christ, but continue to tinker in the things of the world and are constantly pulled away and drawn back and pulled away and drawn back. I pray that you would make them firm, that you would lift them up, that you would uh, uh, strengthen the root, that you would strengthen the, the branch, Lord God, that they may bear more fruit for your name. Pray for those who struggle with assurance. There are many, Lord, today that, that preach that we can lose our salvation and there is no such thing, O oh God, for nobody has the power to snatch us from your hand. And I pray if there is any here today, O oh God, that is struggling with assurance, that as they examine your work in their heart, your work in their life, your work in their walk, that you would shower them with your grace, that you would lavish your love upon them and that they would know and have assurance of your love and grace, Father. It's in your name I pray. Amen.